When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back guys, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. And Turfiel is here with me yet again. And tonight, uh, well, I don't know why I always say tonight. I was thinking about that earlier. I listened to the other show and I'm always say tonight. I mean, it is tonight, technically, for me. These are those but, nighttime campfire <laughs> topics. Right. Well, it's like, but, but the thing is, is I say tonight, but, but, but people could be listening to this in the middle of the day. So I will just say on this episode, we have AP Strange returning we had him on just recently with uh, chris Ertz to talk about occult cinema but tonight we're going to talk about exorcisms we're getting back into exorcisms tonight running hell yeah it has been it has been i mean it's something that's of particular interest to me uh and i'm sure that we'll kind of we'll kind of get into that because you know i did a presentation a couple years almost two years ago now i can't believe it about um exorcism and the catholic traditionalist catholic church and the warrens and i think we we might cover some of that tonight but uh ap strange welcome back to conspiracy normal hey guys happy to be here as always awesome man (laughs) digging into some of this demon stuff devil stuff yeah it's great to have you i think you recently just published this on your blog but you had this um in paranormality magazine i know not too long ago we won't talk about that but yeah. uh <laughs> we've been talking about it for 15 minutes but no one will hear that but if you want to hear us address that whole thing you can go listen to our patreon so that's a cheap plug just but, five dollars um, a month folks can't right. beat it yes yeah, join the mystic crew <laughs> that's right join the mystic crew yeah um so let's talk about what you found out about exorcism and kind of your study of it because i'm curious of what your thoughts about this is uh sure well for first of all that's it's always been a fascination of mine um and really one of one of the very few things in the paranormal that absolutely terrified me (laughs) so i was i was brought up catholic and when i would read the books that i had around i could read about poltergeists i could read about ufos um all kinds of monsters and stuff but then when it got to the exorcism stuff and reading about real life exorcisms like the annalise michelle case Mm and uh um some of the more prominent cases like that where you hear stories of the neck elongating and the uh the striking like a snake and foretelling death and like the kind of omen type stuff um, that, that scared the crap out of me as a kid, you know? <laughs> yeah, and oh, uh, yeah. um, and it, I, I never really shook it like in, and I've gone 
away from Catholicism. I've come back to it. I've, you know, always had, I think anybody that's brought up Catholic always has some piece of it at least carried with them. Um, but uh, it, it's always held a fascination for me. And uh, around the time I was working on this and, and digging into uh, what I was interested in was, uh, was oddball exorcisms. I was looking at cases where uh, it's not, not your run-of-the-mill exorcism. It's not the, <laughs> as run-of-the-mill as such a thing can be. It wasn't the, uh, the um, y- you know, like The Exorcist, basically, the movie, right? I was looking for cases that, were, that, that had a different flavor. And uh, it kind of seemed a little bit synchronicity, perhaps, that you were, you were covering at the same time. You had, I think you had two or three episodes that at least referenced exorcism in the last couple of months right well we did the big one was the one that we did with uh dr richard gallagher which i was about to ask you if you had if you had listened to that um well right because i had met i had messaged you right after i listened to that one i think okay yeah right um about doing this show but you had another episode that referenced the amityville case so that's at least um yeah the one we did with becky ann galantine yeah yeah yep Yep. So that had the Warrens kind of involved there as well. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of funny that around the same time I had already kind of done this article. So exorcism is in the air. (laughs) It's something, something worth talking about. And um, (laughs) I definitely revisited your presentation on the Warrens in in anticipation of that, because I think that's a lot of important stuff for people to, to realize, especially in as much as it influences our current culture around ghost hunting and what's presented on TV. Because I, I, I think if not directly related to the Warrens, it's at least in the same kind of genetic lineage <laughs> as far as uh, methodology goes on TV, you know? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I would definitely agree that, that what has come down to us, well, I mean, first from popular culture, from movies like the exorcist, I mean, that's primarily the big one really, but there's other ones and like there's been an explosion of exorcism movies lately but i would say also that the 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 warren's methodology is actually absolutely what you see in these like ghost hunting shows mm-hmm. I mean, you even draw the parallel to like ed warren yelling at ghosts and i know you're talking about like um the ghost adventures guy like i'm actually yeah. blanking on his Bagans. name but zach yeah. Bag- yeah zach Bagans. yeah i mean like it's it's one in the same. So the methodology is there, but I wanted to make the point that a lot of people don't understand about the warrants or they just kind of refuse to really face it is just how much their traditionalist Catholicism really influenced them. And there's that viewpoint that Ed was kind of a charlatan. Lorraine was a true believer. They were just in for it for money. And to an extent, some of that's true. But if you listen to some of their interviews that they gave, especially on stuff that they did on like public access channel with their, I think, son-in-law, if you listen to those interviews, there's so much emphasis on deliverance. There's so much emphasis on, you know, um, these demons trying to keep you not from like the light of God, but keep you from the church, which is the, you know, the stepping stone to God. So there's a lot of emphasis on Catholic theology. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Father McKenna, who they relied on a lot. Um, he was kind of a, a a big personality in that respect, right? The kind of 
um, oh, yeah. disavowing Vatican II, and yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. yeah. So well, he was a bishop um, in the same town I think they lived in, or nearby, in Connecticut. Yeah, he, yeah, he was a yeah. bishop in his own church that he established. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's important right. to yeah. That's yeah. the important distinction to make is um, it's a offshoot of the Catholic Church that that right. doesn't right doesn't listen to the Pope because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah they don't yeah. they don't see that as being the true Pope so um, so that's important for people to realize and that's what makes it so mind blowing to me that this stuff is so popular on TV because I would I would I would characterize your average person as being agnostic. They don't think about religion a lot, but yet they can be made to believe that demons are real just as soon as something spooky happens because somebody told them so, Yeah, you know, um, right? The, this whole exorcism craze uh, happens along with a wider occult revival and like this satanic exploitation films and literature. Oh yeah, so yeah. It's, it's almost like a reaction uh, to that uh, that occult revival, and these things are cross pollinating and influencing each other. So, you know, some of these characters are probably getting ideas from this media that's being created, and the media is influencing people's perceptions of what's real or how widespread this occult crime is, and all this stuff is kind of feeding into itself. Oh yeah, for sure. Um... But yeah, I mean, as far as the appeal goes too, it's just, it's funny because it's very Catholicism centered and, you know, where I live in my part of the world, Catholicism's pretty, uh, pretty widespread. It's pretty <laughs> commonplace. Like Northeast has a lot of Catholic churches, but, right. um, uh, I feel like for most of the country, it's uh, really in, in a lot of parts of the country, like Catholics are viewed as almost pagan, you know, uh, I think a lot of evangelicals like really don't dig that stuff, but they can still kind of agree that the, they have a common enemy in Satan. Right. So I feel like in recent years, there's been, there's been kind of a shift. Like you said, if they see that the Catholics are really kind of on their side, then they're less to quibble about some of the, you know, theological differences and those type of things. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's why the uh, offshoot type uh, traditionalist Catholics kind of can can get under the radar with them a bit is like, hey, we're not those guys like we, we still believe in the conservative original values, you know. Yeah. Um, well, there's this father. What is it? Father Bagamo. Is that his name? That he's a real I mean, he's really right wing, like talks about QAnon, uh, supports Trump. Right. I mean, he's something that he's someone that would fit in. I think he's a bishop, maybe. Like he fits right. in with with that crowd, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is like this is where it gets tricky too, because it's almost it, we can see we can see the uh, ulterior motives at play here, right? As you established in your presentation, the whole idea is to. Um, uh, make sure that everybody realizes the devil is very real. He exerts a lot of influence over people. And the only solution for that is to go back to church, you know? So the, the ultimate goal is to drive people back 
into the arms of the congregation to to save them from the the demons, right? But that's a separate thing from actual phenomena, too, right? right? So right. It, that that's what makes it really interesting to me because the ph- phenomena itself is documented. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> and in all cultures in the world too. have this. Yeah. And different parts of the world have this. Um, and depending on the religious aspects and what you think of it, it may not even be a bad thing. Like uh, if you look at, at like Haitian voodoo and their, their uh, um, I hesitate to call it rituals because it's almost more like a party the way they do it. It's uh, like a fet. They, they end up having the, the music and the dancing and the loa spirits come into people that are in the, in, in the group and um and basically possess people and it's seen as a positive thing you know <laughs> and it's a momentary possession of somebody's being during during the celebration and um that that's seen as a good thing because it's temporary and uh, the the spirit chose them during the celebration um you know other parts of the world and other cultures depending on how you look at it there's the the phenomena itself uh, presents similarly, but the the reaction to it and the way that people handle it is very different. So, um, super interesting stuff to consider. So, uh, like, I don't doubt that in a lot of these cases, maybe even the ones the Warrens investigated, there 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 were stuff. Uh, I, don't, I don't doubt that there was some paranormal stuff going on. And if um, and if they were there to inflate it or exaggerate it, there may have been. As we've seen in ufology, I think pretty well demonstrated that uh, hoaxing actually does help charge things and, and bring about uh, actual weird results. So it becomes yeah. it becomes a weird a weird ball of thread to try to unravel. Yeah, not but, either or necessarily. Yeah, and um, I don't know. I don't think I've told it on the show before, but um, do you, you know, I saw the Warrens when I was a kid. No. No, no it's all you, never, you never said that you never said this. I was 12 years old and they were at the local library. I think it was probably around Halloween. Um, and it, it's kind of funny to me looking back on it now because I was being kind of a punk. I didn't want to be there, but my mom brought me and my friend thinking it would be like fun for us, like a fun little spooky thing. And uh-huh. uh, <clears throat> I have a distinct memory of trying to read an X-Men comic very very obviously to be rude <laughs> and having it ripped away from me and that's right. how i that's how old that's how i know how old i was because it was like uh 1994 or 93 that that comic came out so um uh i, I have a distinct memory of ed warren holding up in a ouija board and <laughs> using, <laughs> using it as an example saying yeah a lot of people bring these into their homes thinking it's a uh it's a fun toy but if you look closely and he turns it over he's like made in salem massachusetts so there you go there right, you have it right right <laughs> that's <laughs> proof it's made by the witches that you know kiss the hindquarters of satan in the <laughs> right yeah because that's because that's where parker brothers was founded <laughs> so it's like oh wait so is clue bad too is clue wait a witchcraft a <laughs> what about brothers monopoly was, parker brothers was founded in salem massachusetts the plot thickens yeah, just the board stones throw away from all that dungeons and dragons man yep. <laughs> start with clue <laughs> yeah pretty soon you're rolling 12-sided die so jack chick was right yep 
Yeah, those <laughs> those pamphlets I used to get thrown in my trick or treat bag. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I still had those. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my grandmother would be like it was my grandmother's neighbor when i was a kid would throw yeah. those in a bag and then she'd be like oh there's she she's such an asshole why can't you just let the kids have fun <laughs> didn't even throw in some raw candy corn or those those nasty orange ones or nothing sometimes she would throw an apple you'd get an apple she was one of those people you know but um Apparently yeah, that's so not I, a practice anymore. Apparently, you know, th- that came up recently. Apparently that's not a practice that people won't put apples. In. <laughs> well, because there I was remember that, old, that distinctly. The, the, the urban legend of uh, putting a razor in an apple. Right. You right, know? right exactly. I don't know if anybody yeah. ever actually did that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even 12 year old me was listening to Ed Warren and rolling I was rolling my eyes at that. <laughs> and uh, aside from that, I have to say, they seemed like nice people. They, right. they seemed right. like he seemed very avuncular after the fact that when things were just kind of a little bit less formal and they seemed just seemed like a nice old couple, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I already knew who they were cause I was reading about this stuff as a young kid, you know? And, um, and I, I, I don't know why I was being such, such a punk, punk. that I, I just didn't want to be there for whatever reason. But, um, but yeah, it's funny to see that kind of takeover because, I mean, you've had plenty of people in ghost hunting. Uh, like Hans Holzer was claiming the title of ghost hunter before them. Uh, Harry Price was the first one, I think, to use that particular term, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of funny to see how... I don't know if funny is the right word, but how that's kind of become predominant in our culture as, as uh, the measure of ghost hunting success is finding demons behind every, you know? Right. Right. Um, And so it's like the exorcism craze enchants the world with more just regular ghosts as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what's the, well, okay. And then with ghosts, it's always got to be tortured ghosts, right? Okay. Like the, 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 um, the uh the the common knowledge about that uh, in that same vein is that it had to have been a traumatic event and that's why they stayed behind you you never just have <laughs> right. and, and the reason really is just that this stuff sells better you know um it, it, the demons and tortured ghosts are are going to sell better um and that, and and that's that's part of the problem because there's there's a much more uh, uh, holistic and and open-minded way to approach a lot of this stuff, and it's uh, it can be done with humor. It can be done with uh, with, with good taste, and uh, not not offending people. Um, Are and, you suggesting and, though that a lot of this is not about finding the truth and just about entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> you know. No. Sure, I wouldn't go that world. far. I wouldn't go that far, Serfiel. You know what? Can we can we just edit out the last couple of minutes of me talking? <laughs> I don't want to be on record saying suggesting that. No. Um, <laughs> you know, well, let's, you know let's visit talk. the Zach Bagans Museum. I mean, there's a reason he has a whole floor that's like murderabilia. You know, a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, or is that like is that like in Las Vegas or something? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. From what I understand, uh, it costs fifty dollars a pop to go in and oh god yeah that's heinous uh, yeah uh, 
let's let's talk about some of these exorcisms that you talk about in this article, which you have sure. now on your blog. Uh, yep, you, do, you, do, you do start with the Warrens, and you start with um, you do start with this the, the the very famous werewolf case, which is yeah, the South End on Sea werewolf. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adam, you're gonna have to say werewolf one more time for the audience. Were, werewolf. Wait, you had to say it a certain number of times, or uh, uh, no, we have the fans of the way that Adam pronounced wolf. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I I don't know. I, I I I hear a lot of people pronounce it that way, though. I figure it's got to be a regional thing. Oh, I, I reckon <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say it's incorrect, but yeah. So I I mean, this is a case you don't. I I don't think you hear often enough. You say it's very famous, but um, I, I think a lot people of a certain age our age or older <laughs> might, might, it might, it might ring more bells than a lot of the younger generation that are say introduced to the Warren through Warren's through the conjuring movies. Um, right. But this was an example of a guy that uh, was a real life werewolf, according to them. And uh, he, <laughs> that the, he was brought to father McKenna to be exercised in Connecticut. Um and they actually took video footage of the whole thing. Um, I think I think I think that might be on YouTube. Uh, I didn't actually look because I didn't care to see it, but <laughs> I, I know I've seen clips from it before. So this is a guy, Bill Ramsey, in um, in the UK. And when the Warrens were in the UK, they caught wind of this uh, real life werewolf and met with him and. <clears throat> Um, uh, you know, it became clear that they would they would need to bring him to the states so that he could be exercised and have the spirit of the wolf driven out of him. So um, he recounts in the book. Uh, the book is just called "The Werewolf," I think, and it's That's got cool. like three three authors <laughs> writing uh, um, little dramatic interstitial bits that probably have no bearing on reality um it's a bizarre book uh and other bits that are a uh recounting of ramsey's experiences and uh it kind of brings you through and then there's other yet more bits that are interview segments with the warrens and the ramseys and um uh getting through all this stuff so i guess the story is that the guy was as a child was out in his backyard and felt this uh this weird cool breeze and stillness and then just went completely out of his mind and started ripping a fence out of the ground and biting at the wires on it and when he was telling this story i mean this greatly disturbed the young boy's parents and as he was telling the story uh ed warren nodded stagely and said this was the moment that the spirit of the wolf entered into him <laughs> So, you know, they figured it out right away. Um, and uh, after a, a bit of going back and forth with them, brought him over to Connecticut and uh, he apparently was uh, cured through the efforts of, of Father McKenna, even though everybody knows that a silver bullet is the only way to stop a werewolf. That's true. Um, That's true. But <laughs> it's, it's it. I, I guess McKenna just didn't travel, I guess. I, That's the only. You got to come to him. Yeah, you yeah, had yeah, to come to, to him. Yeah. Come to Connecticut. I mean, there was a bit of sensationalism and uh, 
uh, it, it probably was looking for the press for his parish there. Oh, I'm, yeah. Uh, right, right, right. Because the, this whole thing was financed by the uh, tabloid paper in the UK. They were the ones that flew uh, Ramsey and his wife out um, to to uh, got them, got them to Connecticut. So, um, it, you know, and the, and the they the, they in return got the exclusive story to it. So uh, that's kind of. That was, kind of, <laughs> I mean, th- this is kind of the game that was being played here. I suppose yeah. is the way way I'm going to phrase it because there was a the publicity was involved, and uh, and the whole thing was financed by a tabloid paper, whose name I failed to record. I don't know if it's a paper that still exists. I think it was like the Star or something like that, but it's different than the Star here. We were talking about um, exorcism and in different cultures. And I guess it makes sense that, you know, like werewolves would be an example of something akin to an, a possession in like pre Christian European cultures and around the world. So it makes sense. It fits right in. It does. Um, and when you read about uh, traditional folk beliefs around werewolves and vampires and uh, um you know, ghouls and what we would consider more traditional ghosts, it all blurs together in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot of, or witches, witches too. So you have witches, vampires, and werewolves all share a lot of similar traits. There's like transformation that can happen, Um, you know, like cannibalistic or, uh, you you know, blood sucking kind of things going on. you could you could almost exchange one for another, <laughs> the, depending on the stories you're looking at. Uh, so there seems to be very little distinction between between those three categories, but all of them seem to have some tie with with the demonic. You know, uh, in Ramsey's also- case, he never actually transformed into a wolf. He would just kind of act like one, I guess. Is <laughs> he would, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he was. He was possessed by the spirit. Right. Yeah. Right. There's, yeah. there's, um, you talk also about like the exorcism of places. Right. So we're not just exercising people. We go and exercise the demons out of places. Yeah. So and I got mean, a couple of examples just, of those. That, that's part of what inspired this whole line of thinking was, um, is that's, you know, local for me as a, the Boston Red Sox uh, breaking the curse of the great Bambino by having father Guido Sarducci do a exorcism of Fenway park, (laughs) which I think is just fantastic. Um, (laughs) So for people that don't know the curse of the Bambino was that Babe Ruth had played for Boston in uh, the early part of the 20th century and got traded to the Yankees after which time Boston never won a world series again. So that was referred to as, as that, that curse of Babe Ruth leaving the team. Um, so the idea was that uh, one of the local radio DJs in Boston from uh, WBCN, which was kind of like the classic, it was a classic rock station when I was growing up, but it was actually one of the classic independent stations going back um through the seventies and, and, and stuff. It was an important institution long gone now. Um, 
they got Father Guido Serducci to come and he was kind of again the kids these days might not know but he was <laughs> he was a Saturday Night Live kind of guy uh character played by a comedian named Don Novello so this mm-hmm. was just all very silly like his his whole thing was um doing his bit as as the chain smoking Italian priest Guido Sarducci and um, being up on a on a lift up on a crane and re- releasing balloons into the air, and uh, I think there was a wet t-shirt contest involved. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, liberally, liberally applied noogies to um, uh, to shake out the demons. I guess was. was <laughs> <laughs> so th- this is a this is a very silly spectacle, but it's one that I could absolutely appreciate. Um, in in the same at the same time, you had a guy who I really not I tried to research him a little more. It seemed like he was very genuine, but he was trying to uh, exercise Congress. He was trying to drive the snakes and demons out of the Congress, you know, Capitol Hill, and uh, That's some serious that, juju for that. Yeah, and it made the headlines, and he was just like, "I can't do it. It's it's too much. I can't do it." Um, <laughs> so I looked into this guy a little more, and uh, his name was Baron Deacon, and and he's I don't know, he's got a long history as a as an exorcist, and uh, he's he's got a very Boston voice because I found his YouTube channel, and he was trying to do a documentary about witchcraft, and I don't know what happened to that because. It's like he lit, uploaded three videos in 2015 and then nothing more. No, we got to find like, him for Conspiranormal. I emailed him. Mm. I, I managed to find his email address and emailed him because um, I was like, well, this guy's still around. I want to ask if it's okay that I include him in the article because oh. I'd prefer to ask permission. But also, I'd like to talk to him. That'd be pretty cool. And um, and he has a, he has a classic Boston voice. Is is just kind of like the following stories of demonic possession. Uh, well, now I got to think of something that has letter R in it to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real life exorcism. <laughs> Use guys and your exorcisms, you know. Um, uh, so was he was he a Catholic? Is it Catholic or? Yeah, you know, I couldn't figure his, it out. He yeah. had some. He, he was kind of. Um, He's free definitely, definitely Catholic ish, you know, um, yeah. but, but he, he was operating out of some kind of, uh, some kind of school for exorcists in North Carolina is what I was able to find. But that was, <laughs> that was way out of date. It was like a weird PDF flyer for it that I found online and the no like website got a research project it. going on. Well, I did. I, I mean, I, you know, I read, write these 2000 word articles and read like four or five books to do it. So yeah. right, <laughs> deep, right. deep digging online, it's a uh, probably way more than I need to. Cause then I can't cram everything I find in there, but um, please keep us up to date on this one though. We want to, we want to know more. I will. I mean, I really hope the guy's still around. I, maybe I'll email him again and uh, see if he gets back to me. But um, uh, the, 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 this was also inspired by, I think, one case of uh, exercising a place that a lot of 14s would be familiar with is the exorcism of Loch Ness. And this is something that gets uh, passing mention in a lot of books, right? And this is where we leave the Catholic stuff entirely. So um, 
I, I remember always reading about it in passing as just kind of like a little novelty as related to Nessie. If you're a serious like cryptozoologist and you think there's a big uh, prehistoric beast in the lock, you probably wouldn't bother with the exorcism of the lock as being anything worth reading about. Um, <laughs> uh, but when I looked into it, the first place it was mentioned, I guess, I'm guessing was the Goblin Universe by Ted Holliday. Um, you guys familiar yeah. with this book? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. I never read it, but I am familiar with it. Yeah. And you know, Colin Wilson writes about it in a couple of his books. Yeah, Colin Wilson. I got it right here. Oh, I'm not on video anymore. I forgot about that. I'll go back on real quick just for this because Goblin Universe. Um, this was like one of my most coveted books for a long time, and then I finally got a copy last year and was pumped about it. Um, but I mean, it was in the news a lot at the time, and it was on TV in in the UK. Uh, this uh, exorcism of the lock and holiday writes about it in this book and Colin Wilson writes like a 48 page introduction to it. <laughs> it's the longest introduction I think I've ever read to a book, but um, uh, it's this character, Reverend Donald Omond. And uh, that, that kind of, I ended up going down a rabbit hole with this guy because he's just got so many, so many crazy stories. Um, there, there was a series, a serialized uh, <clears throat> newspaper series about his exploits as an exorcist that um, made him almost like a superhero. It would be like Reverend Oman versus the vampire versus the Chinese idol, you know. Um, so it's like Santo, and or it's something. sort of, except he looks like <laughs> Mr. Magoo. He's like. <laughs> It's like a little old man with spectacles, you know, um, and, and that's what makes it so funny to me. Like, I can't help but love this guy because he's just like a little old man, but he's like out fighting vampires and <laughs> um, Chinese idols and the stole the the soul stealer and uh, um, and. Uh, as evidenced by the title of this book, the man who exercised the Bermuda Triangle, he actually exercised the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> which I think is just fantastic. So, so it's like these uh, exorcists kind of adopt an occult detective role. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think Oman just kind of like fell into it and then rolled with it and just kept going. Like it's because he wasn't Catholic; he was uh, associated with the Church of England. But uh, prior to that, he had gotten his PhD in theological studies in Germany. So this guy's whole life story is is pretty great. He um, was the son of a minister and born in Scotland. And his mother had uh, what he referred to as fainess about her, that he said that he inherited. So um, you, you think of like the fae as in the good folk, um, the, the quality of fayness that he doesn't really define. He, th he thinks of, uh, you could think of it like a second sight, like a sense for invisible entities and, uh, and powers around you that, that most yeah. people can't perceive. So, so he was kind of a combination of having been brought up with a Christian faith, but having kind of a paganistic uh, nature view of the world that uh, he says is, necessary to be a an exorcist to begin with you need to have an inborn talent for sensing these things so so colin wilson actually wrote the introduction for this as well 
<laughs> um, a lot of those. Yeah. He was like the go-to guy for introductions back then. Um, but he talks about meeting him and uh, he's basically saying that the famous in the introduction, he says the famous is the, is the really important part here. Um, and he's a very good man, but you know, if just being a good man was good enough to do the, the deed, like why can't more people do it? You know, um, Ted holiday had his reservations about, about, uh, meeting Omond at first too, but was won over by him after staying at his house for a couple of days. And then the goblin universe talks about his description is almost the same. He's a very good man. He's a good little old man, <laughs> very reserved. And, um, uh, one thing to make note of here is uh, he had a, had a bunch of dogs at his house, and one of them he claimed had this famous quality about him. He had a psychic dog named Twinkle that Walking he would sometimes ghost. take with him. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes he'd take his psychic dog Twinkle with him on an exorcism. So, uh, like I said, can't help but love this man. He's, he's very interesting to me. And so, he even uh, joined the circus, right? Right. Well, that was the beginning of his career as an exorcist. So he was in Berlin or, um, nope, not Berlin. I, he was in Germany, Bern, I think maybe. And that's where he was studying. Um, and while a student, he was a journalist, he was making money as a writer for the newspaper. And then after graduating, he became a lecturer, PhD theologian, and, uh, also wrote for, uh, like theological publications, but um, uh, his first real exorcism was at the circus because one of his one of his little gigs as a lecturer was to advise on a film that was being made in Germany, a religious film. He was there as a as as a, an advisor, and nearby there was a circus film being filmed, and the circus people saw him in his habit, and they ran over to him because they wanted they didn't have a priest. So they kind of describe it as um, circus people being kind of nomadic and uh, traveling a lot and being superstitious and kind of isolated from the greater society. Uh, they describe them as being kind of like fishermen out at sea for months at a time, mm -hmm. uh, ha having their own superstitions. And it's really important to them to have some kind of traditional religious figure that they can rely on. So Oman filled that role and became like a circus priest, which nowadays is a thing like, uh, <laughs> like circuses everywhere seem to just have priests. Um, if you go to newspapers.com and type in a uh, circus priest and put quotation marks around the whole thing. So it searches as one term, um, you'll find tons of articles about different circus priests. So, um, but back then, I guess it was less common. Uh, so he, his trial by fire with the circus was actually exercising lions that were possessed. That's because that, because that's a need. That's that's a need. <laughs> yeah, and this this is a really funny thing because I read about him being a circus priest, and um, Holiday mentions him exercising the lions. But it wasn't really clear if that's what he meant. And I was like, man, I got to find a case where somebody exercises, does an exorcism at a circus. Like, that's what I want. Is, and um, 
<laughs> after doing a bunch of looking around, I end up getting the book about Oman. And I'm like, oh, crap, like he did that. That was his first one. Um, so the, this story is the strong man at the circus was the one that got possessed initially. He says that he went to a church for a mass and there were a bunch of weird people hanging out in front of the church. And um, they were making weird gestures and signs at him that he later realized was um, kind of doing the sign of the cross backwards and uh, doing a lot of stuff backwards, like religious hand gestures backwards. And the strong man becomes possessed and starts acting strangely and starts being mean to the kids that are around, which was completely unlike him. And um, during a performance with the of the lion tamer, he went over and grabbed the bars and started staring menacingly at them. And the lions got all agitated. And the strong man just collapses out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, the lions go wild, kill the lion tamer in front of the audience, and just rip them to shreds. Um, so these are lions that the lion tamer, I guess, had raised from the time they were very small. And they were kind of like pets to him. You know, uh, they were part of the act and had never acted aggressively before. But uh, Omand was on hand, so the circus master needed his help, and he ended up going in the cage with the lions. And, uh, yeah, as as first exorcisms go, (laughs) (laughs) exercising two lions in the the big top tent. uh, um, Big top horror as demon beasts attack. Yeah. I love the the serialized newspaper version of it because the yeah. illustrations are awesome, and they all say like "Devil Hunter." And <laughs> you can go on his blog; he's got a great scanned picture of this tabloid. Yeah, they were they were required from um, from newspapers dot com. Uh, so that was, and a lot of that is in the book, and I think some of it was in his first book, which was. So the book I'm referencing here is about him and it's, it's called the man who exercised the Bermuda triangle, but the book he wrote was experiences of a present day exorcist. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I think you know, the, the way we were talking about this before too, was that, um, this isn't Catholicism here. This is over in the UK and he's associated with the church of England. We haven't even got that far yet, but, um, but yeah, it is kind of interesting to see a different type of, of Christian church handling, uh, this. Okay. So that was the mirror in London, um, London, England, the Sunday mirror was running the, uh, devil hunter stories. That's where that came from. I just looked at Good it. News. So uh, this book, I guess, was kind of a uh, <laughs> kind of popular. Um, people were very interested off the back of him uh, exercising Loch Ness in the seventies. Uh, that's just a, a real weird, wacky time. I, I love that mid seventies kind of fourteen uh, weirdness that was just a mix of everything, especially around Loch Ness. I think that would be like a cool movie to do it's just what was happening around Ness at that time but yeah to make he made his first big splash as as having uh exercised the demons out of lions at the circus that just mauled the the tamer because from there uh there, there's a whole lot about vampires in here which is is interesting because uh he had his, his own uh encounters with with 
vampires, which also touches on on being in a place. And I had referenced this when I was here last um, with the occult and cinema thing was uh, was Oman's relationship to Dracula. So <laughs> um, he talks about how as a kid, he loved that book and that story and character the Bram Stoker book, Dracula. And um, uh, he developed this theory that I guess there had been a black dog sightings um, on the coast of Yorkshire at a place called Kettleness. And this was one of the exorcisms he did was kind of of that area. Um, but he develops this theory that Bram Stoker visited the same area when he was writing Dracula and had sensed this evil presence there and the evil presence had attached itself to Stoker to be written about as Dracula in the book to have a new life as a fictional character to build upon to exert his evil influence over the world. So this is a really convoluted, like crazy uh, idea that I really like. <laughs> Very <laughs> it high concept. Something I would come up with. Yeah, it's, it sounds like something I would I would spin out of uh, disparate details that I find about things. <laughs> um, so I I love it, but he apparently that was that was another um, that was an early example of of exercising a place. It, this place Kettleness, this uh, seaside area in Yorkshire. So um, and then that same year he he encountered an actual vampire. So he was kind of part of a um, international group of, of psychologists that would meet to discuss odd cases and, and new theories and ideas in psychology. So they had need of a religious figure there, but they also found opportunities to work as an exorcist through this network. And uh, one of these cases was a vampire in Sweden. So that's one of the other article screenshots I include is uh is Oman versus an actual vampire. So there's this whole through line of having having encountered an actual Dracula in real life and uh, having supposed success, much the way the, the Warrens helped a werewolf, I guess, he was able to help this guy who was an actual vampire. So <laughs> uh, Oman's very realistic about these things, though. It's, it's weird. They're, they're wacky concepts, but he's able to say it in a way that um, it's like an evil presence that it had made itself known and presented as uh, forcing the guy to have vampiric qualities. He wasn't thinking he's an actual undead um, vampire any more than the psychologists do, right? So, um, but of course, for the headlines, uh, Reverend Oman versus a real life Dracula, you know, um, interesting stuff. Uh, then that leads up to Loch Ness. Like Loch Ness is the big one. Um, uh, so, I mean, you guys have come across this story before, right? It's not just me. It just gets referenced all the time when when you're reading about oh, yeah. the Loch Ness monster. I've, yeah, I've yeah. heard of it before. Yeah, and then Loch people Ness tend to get. Ah, so, no. uh, I was obsessed with the Loch Ness monster as a kid. I guess I never really grew out of it, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I know when I had mentioned this before, this always gets confused because I've heard people say that Ted Holliday was the one doing the exorcism. And when I brought it up when I brought it up before, since I'm also very enthusiastic about 
the wizard around Loch Ness at the time, Doc Shields. Um, sometimes people think he was the one that did it, but Shields was the one summoning Lo- the Loch Ness monster um, and other monsters around the area. Oman was the one that was there to do the exorcism. And Oman's idea was that um, Nessie more than likely was a ghost of a prehistoric beast. Uh, the, the idea that it was an actual surviving prehistoric beast was very unlikely. Um, the idea that it was a hoax or that everybody was mistaken was also unlikely. So he thinks it's a, it's the ghost of a prehistoric spirit, but there is an evil influence over the lock um, that drives people crazy, which, you know, that could be said for any paranormal phenomena. I, I would really caution anybody to uh tread carefully when they when they obsess over this stuff because we've seen it before in ufology people kind of lose their minds kind of destroys their life and uh, that can happen in any of these um any of these areas but um uh yeah that was his whole point triangle ruin your life yeah i mean it could (laughs) right (laughs) well i mean it's kind of the classic i mean it's become a stereotype but it's it's born out of some kind of reality. The stereotypical guy with the tinfoil hat that's paranoid oh. and like, yeah, like. <laughs> I think we all have had uh, a, a small taste of that, you know, if you're into this shit. Yeah, for a while. exactly. But some people don't come back from it, so yeah. it, it's kind of funny to hear. Knee deep. Yeah, and I mean, people do actually lose their lives to it. So, um, uh, I think what he's talking about is real. That evil influence, the the fixation and the obsession and that kind of stuff, but also just kind of madness. Because uh, other things he dealt with where there was a particular fjord in Sweden that seemed to have a maddening effect on people and a spot in the Arctic Ocean that uh, was like a, a vortex of evil, as he referred to it, um, that caused what was referred to as sea madness, where people just suddenly go bonkers out on a boat and try to jump off of it or uh, attack their crewmates or something like that. So <laughs> he was he kind of exercised the patch of the ocean near the North Pole in addition to a fjord before he did the Loch Ness monster, I think. So it's hard to keep the chronology straight, but um, he's uh, the 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 exorcism of the Loch uh, again, that had a precedent before he did it because the earliest sighting of the Loch Ness monster was St. Columba in like 545 AD who supposedly had had um, driven off the Loch Ness Monster when he saw it to save a man that was swimming in in the river nest nearby the Loch Ness. Um, But the method was to perform the exorcism ceremony at points along the shore, four different spots, and that would form a cross if you were to look at it on a map. And then the final part would be to perform on a boat in the middle of the water and they had people from the BBC there following them around, interviewing them with cameras. So it turned into this whole day-long affair. <laughs> um, and uh, the interesting part about it is that Holiday reports like feeling fatigued and drained of energy entirely, just like, and you could see that it had that effect on on Omond. And that's like a psychic fatigue is what they referred to it as. So you end up getting feeling drained after having performed such a thing. Um, and then Holiday 
has a whole series of weird things happen to him afterwards involving like UFOs and men in black and <laughs> omens and stuff like that. So um, if you can find a janky PDF copy of the goblin universe, I would highly recommend it because uh, wild stuff. Is it but, completely uh, out of print now? It has been for decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. From what I understand, uh, Llewellyn has the publishing rights uh, because it was part of a, uh, I guess they were trying to branch out a little bit and they did what they called the SciTech series, like PSI tech. Um, and they were trying to venture into cryptozoology and other subjects. And I guess that didn't sell well and they just shut it down. But they retained the rights to the book and they've just held on to them since the 80s anyway. Um, and it hasn't really been printed since, which is a damn shame. I think they, they, they would have done well to republish it when Hellier came out because anything with Goblin in the title that probably would have, yeah, that's true. you know, um, they could still do it now. So if anyone's at Llewellyn, you know, you have a book that you have the rights to that you could republish and people would buy it. I'm saying. Um, right. Because the elite listen to yeah. Conspiranormal. So the paranormal. They do. Elite. <laughs> Conspiranormal influences the influences. <laughs> it well, does. It, it, it can have a ripple effect. It can be a subtle thing, you know. Put yeah. some bugs in some ears. Like, this is what needs to happen, you know. Um, yeah, uh, Lauren Coleman kind of tipped me off to some of this stuff because he helped with uh, sourcing some of the images for the book and helping to design the cover to it. So um, he had the skinny on that. But... Um, yeah. Uh, so obviously it didn't banish Nessie. People still see Nessie. And that wasn't his goal to begin with. He just kind of wanted to get rid of that evil influence over the lock. So, yeah. Do you have any questions on the Loch Ness Monster part of this? Or He goes on to <laughs> an even uh, more infamous larger body of water, and that's the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, Bermuda Triangle is is pretty wild. Um, that that's a large a large swath of ocean to to cover. Uh, it's kind of funny when you see it on a map because then you realize it's like you could if you move the triangle over you could fit all of Florida in it. You know, yeah. uh, I think Florida might be in it, my experiences in Florida, but yeah, part of it is. I think I think um, I, I think part of the southern tip are right in there. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Well, you know what? I have a picture right here. Yeah, it's a little a little piece of it, the land is. But I don't know how firm that triangle is. Right. <laughs> I think it moves depending on the picture that you're looking at. But yeah, he did he his his um his way of handling this, he thought about trying to do the exorcism from a plane above the Bermuda Triangle. But that didn't end up working out, so he kind of did the same thing he did at Loch Ness, where he picked points on the shore and then on boats to try to to form this cross. And this is this is where you start to run into the problematic stuff in the paranormal because I'm reading about this, like chuckling to myself. I'm like, dude's exercising the Bermuda Triangle. This is wild. And he gets into his theories about like why the Bermuda Triangle exists, and he's talking about how people have reported being able to hear what sounds like uh, like African uh, voices. And he thinks it's due to the trauma of the slave trade coming through there 
that oh, has oh. left a permanent permanent imprint For there. That. And uh, even the, the part where it gets bad is he his actual theory was that um, sometimes people that wouldn't be useful as slaves would just be tossed overboard or people that, that were starting trouble on the boat. And he, th- he he suggested that maybe a witch doctor had been thrown overboard and with his oh, dying breath no, had I... cursed the water. <laughs> and I read that and I'm like, oh no, oh no. I'm like, this is the end of the book and you had me going along with everything. <laughs> did he get oh, into the, the voodoo that, that goes there. on in the Caribbean or anything like that? No, he doesn't touch on that at all. But he does mention that um, he ran this theory by Martin Luther King. And, oh wow! Uh, yeah, that's uh, not awkward at all. It's it's not clear at what point he actually met Martin Luther King, because we're talking about this is like 1976 or 77 when he's in the Bermuda Triangle. So, <laughs> unless he had already been planning it for over a decade, I'm not really sure where he found time to ask Martin Luther King about the Bermuda yeah. Triangle. <laughs> he, 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 he just he just said it. That's pretty much it. Yeah. He right. Said, he just said that he did. Right. Because nobody can ask uh, ask Dr. King. So right, right. <laughs> unless you're a very, very talented medium. Uh, maybe Lorraine Warren could have. But uh, at any rate, yeah, that be that as it may, um, looking past that, I think it's notable that we haven't really lost nearly as many boats and ships over the Bermuda Triangle since 1977 as notable cases beforehand. So I would mark that as a, as a success. Okay. <laughs> Whatever he did worked, right? You know, we still don't know what happened to Flight 19 and a lot of the, uh, a lot of people that disappeared there, but at the very least we haven't had new disappearances, you know? Yes. Something worked. Yeah. Something went right. The, uh, planes being connected to satellites. Could be, could be. Well, what are you guys' thought on um, Bermuda Triangle? What do you think it is? Um, I don't think it's a witch doctor curse from the slave no, trade. I, I don't have like a lot of cross references, but from being on a cruise ship in it in the ocean, like at night by myself on the deck, like it, it feels like some real dirty water. It, it has a feeling to it. Um, hmm. I don't know. You know, that's the only time I've been on a boat in the ocean. So I don't have anything yeah. to compare. Maybe that's just what being on a boat is like, but it, it uh, felt kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to take a cruise through there. I want to know what it feels like. Um, but I don't, I don't have very much experience out on the open ocean either. Um, well, I mean, what, what is it? What, what's it based on? I mean, you got what the Mary Celeste. Mm-hmm. Flight 19, maybe there's some, and, and both of those, I mean, I feel like Flight 19 has kind of been explained. Mary Celeste has been. Probably a bunch of shows back you, in the day, but it's such you, a busy you can place. speculate, uh, but, you know, there, there might be mundane reasons why that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the actual explanation is that statistically the same amount of boats right. and planes have been lost there as anywhere else, but they get chalked up to being part of something weird. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. Know? And I mean, there's all the other triangles too. I mean, isn't there like in the Pacific version of it too? Isn't there like a devil's triangle, which there's like several of those. So, yeah. and the North and Atlantic then, has one. Yeah. And you've got, um, the, you've got the, in the, like the Bermuda triangle started this whole thing where everything had to be a triangle. I mean, not too far from where you are. Isn't there a triangle? I'm in between two of them. There's the Bridgewater Triangle and yeah. uh, the Bennington Triangle. The Bennington Triangle is less talked about, but that's up in Vermont. And there's right. some weird stories around that. Um, and yeah, well, you know what it is, Adam. I mean, the triangles, come on, man. <laughs> that mystical <laughs> just, just Illuminati stuff. Oh, right. right, right. <laughs> Exactly. You, you it's five, three all, it's all the Illuminati. That. Yeah. That's that's what it is. I don't know. Did you see the new Pilates documentary? Uh, I guess he does that with a map, or he, he's actually putting bullets on a map to make shapes on it. <laughs> oh, no. The UFO documentary. No, I, I didn't actually this. watch it, but I'm told. Yeah, he does that where he's trying to make like a triangle on the map by placing bullets on places where stuff happened. <laughs> People disappeared. Uh, I'm pretty wacky stuff. I'm a geomancer myself, so I really can't can't say anything. Uh, <laughs> I just any think other, it's funny. Were there any other figures in exorcism that we? Well, what we happens to him? About? Like what ultimately oh. happens? I mean, he lived he lived a long life. I mean, a lot of this was after he was retired. He was a vicar in um, uh, Dorset, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, he was pretty he was pretty much retired from actually being an active uh, man of the cloth in a church serving a community. Um, it, it, he was just traveling, jet setting around the world as a little old man. And I mean, that really is the funny part to me, to me with these stories is, you know, he's fighting a vampire, but he's a little old man, you know, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I, I mean, I think he lived to a, to a pretty ripe old age and just kind of died peacefully. Um, uh, there was one story in the book that I, I did want to at least mention here because this one is probably more bizarre than anything else now that I think about it, because it's kind of a Freaky Friday scenario. Um, you know, the movie I'm referencing, right? The right. right. Lee, yeah. <laughs> it's a body swap, basically. Um, there's this guy that was basically uh, figured out how to, through science and the occult, leave his body and enter somebody else's body and swap places with them. And he did this three or four times. Um, and he sought help from Omond because he wanted to stop the cycle. And he was afraid that if he was about to die, he would, he would chicken out and swap places with whoever was nearby him. Um, so, I mean, there's three chapters dedicated to this guy because <laughs> it's such a bizarre story and it's so convoluted, but he started as kind of like a young scientist who swaps places with another professor who swaps, swaps places with a journalist and um, he's able to kind of hypnotize them and then just kind of jump his soul into their body and their soul goes into his, you know? And uh, at some point he's despondent and he ends up in Syria 
and sees a man praying at the mosque and realizes that this guy who um, uh, doesn't seem to really have much going on upstairs, at least has faith and, um, and, and that's worth more than all he managed to accomplish through his multiple lifetimes. So he jumps into this guy and that's where, that's where he sought help from Omont. So that's, that's a pretty wild story body swapping and soul stealing kind of stuff. So, uh, the, the freaky Friday exorcism, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot broader. Uh, All these are like a lot broader definition of exorcism. Right. And that's, what's cool about him in general is that, um, he doesn't have the hard and fast. It's all demons. He's right. not talking about the devil constantly. He's actually looking at all this stuff and using this quality of fairness that he has of sensing what's actually there. And all he wants to do is remove the evil influence. When he encounters a ghost, um, he doesn't necessarily want to banish the ghost or escort it to the other side. The ghost is going to do what a ghost does. It's just going to hang out there and it's not hurting anybody. But if there's an evil influence around that, he wants to remove that. So they, uh, Wilson talks about it. Like he speaks almost with like the dispassion, it, um, uh, a, a removal of like a doctor talking about germs or disease, uh, just kind of targeting what needs to be done. And that's the part that we need to take care of. And this other stuff sure is spooky, but it's not hurting anybody. So <laughs> leave it alone. You know, um, I, I, I kind of really love that. I, I respect that a lot more because he's not proselytizing. Um, and Wilson makes a pretty valid point as well, saying that you don't need to be of any particular faith to enjoy the book or to um, to appreciate his exploits, because uh, he's not he's not ramming it down your throat. You know, he's there to help. <laughs> so, how true that is, who knows? I mean, the, after all, it is a book about the man they were trying to sell. So, uh, <laughs> you do have to take anything and everything with a grain of salt, but, um, it does seem by all accounts that he was, he was interested in doing good and that's kind of, kind of the crux of it. Yeah. And, it, and it's a more nuanced and, and balanced way of looking at it, which kind of brings me back around to Guido Sarducci. Like why wouldn't something funny and just, um, goofy like that by somebody that's just pretending to be a priest kind of play acting uh, a satire of an exorcism. Why, why wouldn't it work? You know, like why couldn't it work? <laughs> why is that less valid? You know? And yeah. I mean, the Sox did go on to win the world series uh, took 12 years, but uh, they eventually win the world series again. So what happened. Um, yeah. What's that? But it happened. Eventually, it happened. It did happen. Yeah, exactly. the The curse was broken, so uh, <laughs> I counted it as a win. You know, and it's like trappings and uh, and ritualism that at this point and at that point everyone is familiar with, so everyone can participate. It's not something like, you know, too exotic for everybody. Like everyone knows what's going on. Yeah, it's not exclusive. It's not. It's not behind closed doors. Yeah, exactly. But it's a community uh, feeling, and and uh, there's almost like an egregoric quality of that of of moving that forward. And uh, and ultimately, when you talk about exorcism, I was getting into the etymology of the word, and 
what it basically is is coming to an agreement, right? The the Greek root of the word, from what I could understand, was um, when they say that the demon is compelled to do stuff. You're 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 making a compact to agree that the demon is going to leave this realm and leave us alone and stay over there. You're never actually banishing them. You can't really kill a demon, right? It's like a negotiation. It is a negotiation, but it's the same exact thing, really, that wizards do from the opposite way of looking at it. You know, when you're talking about like ceremonial magicians and high magic ritual and uh, working with demons, I mean, King Solomon being the early example and the avatar of this for a lot of people, um, the invoking of demons and the banishing thereof afterward has, uh, you know, a mirror. Uh, a mirrored quality to the to the concept of of exorcism broadly uh and the more you look into it the more it seems like they're just kind of uh not even opposites they're just kind of the same maneuver (laughs) when you get into a lot of the grimoire um uh uh the grimoires and reading about how to uh establish and maintain relationships with demons the amount of preparation you need to do and purification rituals you need to do i mean you may as well become a priest (laughs) in order to do it as as prescribed in a lot of these tomes um and it's almost kind of a, a blind to get you to do the great work and uh um purify yourself and and become become a more uh um enlightened being you know so I don't know. I, I find it interesting that there's this kind of dichotomy there where the modern dumbed down version of it that we get through ghost hunting on TV and people like Zach Bagans just yelling at ghosts and and talking about demons. The very concept that anybody would call themselves a demonologist nowadays. I'm probably going to get hate mail for this. <laughs> if you call yourself a demonologist, um, John Tenney has pointed out that that's uh, that's like the same thing as calling yourself a witch finder. You know, yeah. um, uh, that's classically been a term for people that are trying to persecute people for having different customs and beliefs, and and uh, um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> and this stuff is like gets really dark and has been really politicized and in you know some places like africa you have these like spiritual warfare outfits come in i know dave metcalf talked about this a lot and Mm -hmm. uh, you know they're kind of waging war against folk beliefs and and traditional practitioners and things actually result in in violence and persecution of people yep yep and you see it um you, you see threads of it nowadays and it's just like another way of othering people um uh i mean recently you had the dalai lama in the news and and like whatever you think of the recent news story of the dalai lama or he you (laughs) the whole thing with his tongue and trying to get a kid to lick his tongue or whatever um uh the amount of people on twitter just this is anecdotal it's not scientific or anything but just from what i noticed the amount of people that were like willing and ready and just seemed to be chomping at the bit to just dunk on and hate on tibetans and the tibetan buddhist practice 
And I was just like, where is this coming from? And it's that same kind of moralistic um, othering, like uh, demonizing traditional folk belief. And they finally found like one thing. I don't know if they were waiting for it, but they were primed and ready to go. Or they see guys in robes that have a different tradition and come from a different part of the world. And they're like, oh, this is all, this is all awful. And it's, you know, um, like, oh, they're all pedophiles. It's like, it, it's, it's the same thing as the QAnon people, you yeah, know? There's a lot of and, and the stuff that's always classic. Yeah. And it becomes uh, literal. It, right. And, uh, and you're not even really talking about, I mean, uh, tantric Buddhism and, and a lot of the stuff that came out of Tibet and, and the Vajra, um, Vajrayana types have more paganistic kind of qualities and mystical qualities than, than Buddhism largely, but it all gets lumped together. You know, this is all going to be lumped together because people are frankly too ignorant and simple to really, uh, uh, take a step back and, and, uh, realize they don't know what they're talking about when they, when they fly off the handle about these things and, or, um, look into it themselves and learn a thing or two you know um i don't know it's just far too easy we live in a society now where we've been beat over the head with this stuff we think about the satanic panic as being a long time ago and it just never went away it never really did you know no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah and um and, and as you guys have have both done a really good job of presenting in um your conspiracy talk episodes, uh, or are you calling those ones? Shit, memory is failing me right now. Ones styles. Are, yeah, which we paranoid styles. Yeah, yeah, lacks on for the last few while. months. Well, yeah, but I mean, you were you you had like a really good through line going in those, and and how these ideas just are cyclical. It's like a the the what I refer to as the Ouroboros of bullshit, where the same things keep popping up. Always ways of vilifying different groups and othering people, and um, and you know, anti-Semitism always comes back around again in different and varied forms. Um, but the satanic panic was, you know, um, geez, you know, we're talking about like 30 to 40 years ago, a lot of this stuff was going on and the effects of that are still being felt and they're kind of subliminal at this point. They're just kind of internalized. Yeah. And, uh, when you see this programming on TV, people are ready to believe that. Yeah. Oh, it's demons. Oh, it's demons. That guy with the white collar said it was a demon, you know, um, it's kind of madness <laughs> this interplay with media which you know goes back to novels and everything else of course it's nothing new but you know since that exorcism craze so much of the satanic panic like comes out of those you know fictional narratives and it's just it's it's totally hyper real at this point you know what's fiction and reality the stuff is just totally cross-pollinated yeah but i mean i think that's uh I think that's how reality works anyway. I mean, I, I think reality is good. <laughs> it's the it's a it's it's a cybernetic network of uh of reciprocal stuff. There you go. You know. Um but I don't know, primed and ready to even be afraid of demons like they're around every corner. What I want to know is have these people even met demons? Have, like <laughs> how do they know they're so bad? 
Have you ever like looked at a list of demons? They seem downright helpful sometimes, man. They'll teach you stuff. They just They'll like... teach you astrology. They'll teach <laughs> sometimes help you find money and lost treasure. They seem pretty helpful to me. I don't know. They don't seem all bad. Um, but yeah, I think we're getting way off the beaten path now. But by <laughs> the way, uh, I did look. Uh, so I did look up this Baron Deacon. Yeah. And the web, the, the, the YouTube channel, I guess is Deacon Baron, but is it, there's like one that's like secrets of witchcraft by Dr. Baron. That's Deacon. the one. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. I was going to say, please tell me that that is what it is because he is like, he's straight up like wearing a cape and like everything. Yes. It reminds me of the, um, the Highgate vampire stuff. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That was wild. Oh, man. Yeah, the uh, Highgate Vampire. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know too much about that, but... Uh, you should yeah. find somebody who does and do a show about it, because... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <they're... laughs> I know about it. Not enough to talk about it at length, but... Uh, but, yeah, yeah, he's got I, the cape. I have to he's really got... look into that again. It sucks, because there's, like, three videos, and they're all... Yeah. Oh, there's only three videos on that channel. I, I thought so, and they were all like five minutes long, and I think two of them are the same video. <laughs> yeah, interview. It's Secrets of Witchcraft by Doctor Baron Deacon. Doctor Baron Deacon. Yeah. And Secrets of Witchcraft Part and Two. And then he interviews a witch. Right. Oh, okay. So there are three different ones. Yeah. So are we rebranding re Adam as uh, Adam Sane? Demon hunter, yes, or devil hunter, <laughs> yes. Oh, dude, we gotta gotta get you dressed Adam, up for the next Strange Realities conference. Yeah, we need to get you a cloak and like a fedora, hey, or like a white. I'll do it. I got a fedora. So. Crucifix, yeah. holy water. Yeah, yeah. We'll get you looking holy water like pistol. the shadow, and and then you have to get a picture next to Tim Banal with his Kolchak outfit. <laughs> You guys will get them all. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, um, was there anything else that we wanted to, that you that you wanted to cover, AP? Or uh, yeah, I think we've been going for a while here. Uh, and tempt the demons any to disrupt this recording again. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, th this has been excellent. Some excellent yeah, information. Some really good, interesting, and funny stuff too. Um, yep. AP, where can people find you? Uh, well, I am still lurking in the hellscape that is Twitter. And uh, uh, I tried branching out, and it just got to be too much for me being on other platforms. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm not very much fun there. Um, but Twitter is mainly the, the social media that I'm on. Uh, and my blog is apstrange.com. And you can find the article I wrote about this and uh, a bunch of other stuff. You can read about um, Bugs Bunny and his connection to UFOs or uh, nice. Phantom Clowns or a lot more Loch Ness Monster stuff or the numerology of Elvis. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah that's story. where you'll find that stuff. Yeah, we did. And um, I tried to explain the numerology stuff on this show and couldn't do it. So I had to elucidate it further in writing. Cause it, it is too hard to explain, but, um, that's on the blog. So go find it. 
Awesome. You got a great fun style and I'd recommend anyone go check out your blog for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, so the line for us, we're going to close out the, we're going to close out the show. Um, guys, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for listening and, uh, thank AP strange for being the guest tonight and just, uh, just a few announcements. Of course we have conspiracy normal Patreon. Uh, you guys can sign up for that. We've gotten started doing our monthly meetups yet again. Uh, Sergio can tell you how to sign up for that. You too can become a conspiracy normalist and get those demon hunting lessons from the adept Adam Sane over at patreon.com slash normal. Yes, you can get those demon hunting lessons from me. And hopefully we're going to be doing a Patreon here soon. And uh, also the Strange Realities Conference, uh, by the time yeah. hopefully by the time this is out, uh, we will be getting ready to reveal the, the, the graphic and the guest list. And so you guys can make your plans. But Nashville, Tennessee at SIR is going to be November 3rd and the 4th and plus an extra day that is solely online. Of course, the whole thing is online. So you can also buy online tickets as well. We'll be making announcements about pricing and all that too. So stay tuned for that. And guys, thank you for listening. And we will see you next time in a couple weeks. We will be taking a little break, but uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. Zach Hunt will be joining us. Looking forward to that. Not been on for a while. And we'll talk to you later on Conspiracy Normal.